Welcome to the Storytime Clinic, where children's books and health collide. I am your host, Dr. Mfon Warren, and every week I spotlight a children's book featuring a character with a health condition. My goal is to inspire conversations that will help all of us better understand and support kids with health conditions. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Storytime Clinic, episode four. Well, it is April and my dreams are coming true. The weather is finally getting nice outside. And for me, that means ice cream time. So this week I ventured out to a local ice cream shop and this place was everything my heart has ever dreamed of. They had over 100 different weird and wonderful flavors on their menu. Anyone who knows me knows that I do not believe in vanilla ice cream. It is too basic. I like my ice cream ridiculous. In fact, I was really and truly about to order the dirty grasshopper off their menu, (laughs) which unfortunately or fortunately they were out of. So I stood there and studied the menu for about 10 minutes, mentally narrowing down my choices like a sweet 16 bracket before I finally decided on a winner, honey baklava. And boy, was it worth it. Now, my extended time in front of the ice cream menu was self-inflicted. I wanted to make sure that I had given each flavor equal time and opportunity to impress me. But for some people, the thought of reading a hundred item menu, which is a thing of joy to me, might actually be more of a torturous experience. But it's just ice cream, you say. No big deal. Most people have a go-to flavor. They are not going to go in there and have to read a hundred item menu every time. But what about reading highway signs? What about filling out forms at a doctor's office? What about contracts, textbooks, websites, text messages? Words are all around us, and many parts of our world are designed with the assumption that reading and comprehension happen quickly and effortlessly for everyone. But it's not always that easy. In today's episode, we talk about dyslexia, which is portrayed excellently in the book Fish in a Tree, written by Linda Murleli Hunt. When this book opens up, we are in a sixth grade classroom with the main character, Allie. The title of the chapter is In Trouble Again, and this pretty much sums up Allie's relationship with school. The teacher has asked the class to do an assignment, and it appears that Allie is being difficult. She is stalling, trying to distract the teacher, cracking jokes, doing things to annoy the teacher so that she can get sent to the office instead of doing this assignment. And what is so terrible that she's been asked to do? She's been asked to write a one-page description of herself. Well, as she's pulling all these antics, the teacher's getting frustrated. The other students are getting tired of her behavior. Even Allie herself seems to dislike what she's doing. So at the end of chapter one, we're left with the question, why? Why won't she just do what she is asked? And the way that this question is answered has huge implications for Allie and other children like her. Up until this point in her life, the answer from her teachers has been, she's not putting in enough effort. She's trying to get attention. She's a troublemaker. Her mom thinks she just needs to try harder. But Allie has tried. And she says, no matter how many times I've prayed, 
and worked and hoped. Reading for me is still like trying to make sense of a can of alphabet soup that has been dumped on a plate. I just don't know how other people do it. And over time, unfortunately, Allie's answer to the question of why she can't do her assignments has become, because I'm dumb, I'm stupid, all the other kids in the class are smarter than me. Luckily for Allie, she has a new teacher who's truly interested in finding out the answer to that question, why. Mr. Daniels notices that she's very smart in conversation. She's good at math. She's good at problem solving. She's very creative. Contrary to what Allie has come to believe, she's actually quite intelligent. But every time she has to read or write something, she really struggles or she avoids doing it completely because she knows that it's going to be a struggle for her. But because Mr. Daniels doesn't write her off as stupid or as a troublemaker, because he takes the time to observe the way she learns and the areas in which she struggles, he finally answers the big question correctly. Allie has dyslexia. So what is dyslexia? According to the Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity, dyslexia is an unexpected difficulty in reading in an individual who has the intelligence to be a much better reader. It's a language-based learning disability, and it's actually the most common learning disability, affecting anywhere from 10 to 20% of people, um, depending on the source of information that you use. And there's a very wide spectrum of symptoms. It can be mild or it could be severe. Contrary to popular belief, it is not just seeing words backwards. In fact, it's, it's not seeing words backwards at all. People with dyslexia have difficulty connecting written letters and letter combinations to the sounds that they're supposed to make. And this makes reading very challenging. Spelling and Comprehension can also be difficult. So dyslexia is a difference in the way that the brain processes some language-related information. It can run in families. So there's often a parent or a sibling or someone else in the family who has also had some reading difficulties. So what are some of the signs and symptoms that might make us consider dyslexia? Well, even early on, before kids have started school, parents might notice that a child has some difficulty with reading or identifying letters of the alphabet, being able to sound out the sound that is associated with that letter. They might have trouble pronouncing even simple words such as cat or dog. They might have trouble rhyming words. And you can also notice that when reading a picture book, they are actually narrating what's going on in the picture rather than reading the text. Later on, we can see that um, these kids have more difficulty with reading, so they might read very slowly. They might have difficulty with figuring out how to sound new words, words that they're unfamiliar with. They might mistake words that sound alike. And this can happen both with reading 
And with speech as well, sometimes the words that they say are not actually the words that they intended to say. And a lot of times this manifests as the kid not enjoying reading and not wanting to read. And sometimes it's also noticed that kids have better listening comprehension, meaning that if if they're read a story or if they're told a story, they can understand that and kind of recount what has happened in that story much better than if they were to read it themselves. In one part of the book, Allie kind of describes what's happening when she's trying to read. She says, I pull out a book and open it, but the letters squiggle and dance. How are other people able to read letters that move? And so sometimes there's that um, sensation that the letters on the page are moving and that kind of adds the difficulty of reading for some people with dyslexia. And she also complains of getting headaches after she reads. Um, we also see her kind of struggling with the, the level of exertion um, that she has to put into reading a short uh, passage is much more than any other kid has to go through. Um, this often leaves her kind of tired and, and worn out. So she takes a lot of time doing um, a short amount of homework or a small assignment, even though sometimes it seems like her product was rushed because she has a lot of spelling errors, or it might be a very short passage. But in fact, she's she's making a significant effort even to get that out. So reading this book, it was really clear to see how much emotional distress can actually come from having an unrecognized learning disability. You know, people expect that you should be able to do this thing. Everyone around you seems to be able to do it so easily. And so you start to question yourself, why, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do it? And at first, Allie would try and try and try because she didn't want to disappoint her mother. She didn't want to disappoint her teachers. She truly wanted to be able to do what all the rest of the kids were doing. But she said, if trying to read helped, I would be a genius. Her efforts were not getting her anywhere, so eventually she stopped trying. She doesn't speak up in class. She's anxious whenever she's called on. Homework is a big struggle for her. So there's a lot of tears, frustration, desperation even, and anxiety around going to school. At a point, she says, I wonder what it would be like to be able to relax at school, not to have to worry every second of every minute. So you can see kind of how much of a draining experience this is for her. So she resorts to escaping the situation. She pretends to be injured so she can't write. She pretends to be sick so she can go to the nurse's office. She purposely gets in trouble so she can get sent to the principal's office so that she can avoid doing work. And so you can see what kind of consequences this has in terms of the way that her teachers view her, in terms of the way other children view her, and in the terms of the way that she views herself. And the saddest thing is that she really internalizes the idea that she's stupid and worries that she'll never become anybody or anything in the future. She gets into some embarrassing situations because she can't read or she's mistaken one word for another. So obviously she she gets she becomes a butt of jokes sometimes. She's laughed at, she's humiliated, and bullying becomes an issue for her as well. So all these things kind of put together, you can see how much this can really affect a child's self-esteem. 
One of the reasons that I love working with young children is that they have so much potential. Their whole lives are ahead of them. So it makes it even more important that whether as parents, as teachers, or as healthcare professionals, we really pay attention to what's happening with our children. Because whatever we do is setting the foundation for their future. And we owe it to these children to have a better understanding of the conditions that can affect them so that we can recognize the signs, make an early diagnosis, intervene early, and provide them with the tools that they really need to succeed. For Allie, she did not have her dyslexia picked up until she was in sixth grade. And so you can imagine going through years and years of this struggle, of this anxiety, of this low self-esteem, and imagine what that really does to a child and to the way that they see themselves. So how do we actually diagnose dyslexia? Well, there's not a simple blood test or scan or anything like that that diagnoses dyslexia. It's usually involving a series of of tests, often uh, performed by an educational psychologist or a neuropsychologist. And it's important to go through this process, even if the diagnosis is fairly apparent uh, to the parent or teacher just by observing the child. It's important to have an official diagnosis in order to gain access to uh, the accommodations that can be provided through school. Um, So in order for a child to have an individualized education plan, um, which allows them these special accommodations, they need to have a diagnosis on file. And um, this uh, idea of uh, individual education plans and uh, school-based accommodations for children with uh, disabilities. We, we will talk about this in a specialized episode at some point later on in the podcast. So getting back to the testing for dyslexia, these uh, tests are going to assess many different areas for the child. So looking at their reading and writing abilities, of course, looking at their vocabulary, looking at how developed their language is, looking at how quickly they're able to process auditory information. That's information that they can hear uh, versus information that they have read from a paper, for example. Um, It looks at things like their approach to learning, their memory. So it's really um, a bit extensive, but at the end of all that testing, um, the... But at the end of all that testing there is a very good idea of whether the child is actually struggling in the area of language learning disability. So earlier on, I mentioned that some children begin to exhibit some signs consistent with dyslexia even before they get into school. And so now there are screening questionnaires for dyslexia that are geared at those children between kindergarten and the third grade. And these questionnaires are delivered by educators. They can be done quickly, done by observation. And this is designed to pick up children that are at risk for um, having dyslexia, picking them up early on and getting them into that uh, testing system so that these learning disabilities can be recognized earlier. Because the earlier they're able to be recognized, the earlier we're able to intervene. 
The good news is that with adequate teaching techniques and appropriate accommodations, most children will be able to have some improvement uh, in their reading and for some, you know, significant improvement in their reading, as well as knowledge of how to best manage their dyslexia. So what, what are some of the helpful accommodations out there for children with dyslexia? Number one, there are specialized um, techniques to help teach reading um, and to help teach comprehension that are geared towards the areas in which children with dyslexia particularly struggle. And I won't go into that into too much detail here, but there there is some additional information on a couple of the websites that I will link to in my show notes, and I will mention at the end of the podcast. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can take a look there. Other accommodations that are helpful in the classroom setting include giving uh, more time for assignments or tests, and that can be very, very helpful. Remember that um, dyslexia makes it harder for children to read quickly. And so giving them the same amount of time for a test that other children are getting is not really a fair assessment of what they're capable of doing. So sometimes just having that additional time to be able to read through questions um, and understand before answering is helpful in uh, getting that child to be able to show what it is that they that they have learned and what it is that they know. Other things that can be helpful, particularly as children get into higher levels of learning, voice-to-text and text-to-voice options. So, for example, if a child has a um, writing assignment and we know that they struggle with writing, if they're able to speak or to dictate that text and it is then typed into um, a computer automatically, it is then translated into text automatically, that helps them overcome that barrier of having to write and make sure that all their writing and their letters, uh, their spelling is correct. So that just gets rid of an additional barrier for them. In the same vein, reading can be very slow for children with dyslexia. And so um, one of the things that is helpful is being able to have books, whether it is textbooks or other written documents that are used in the classroom, that can be translated into voice or into spoken words. So that's the text to voice option. And so there are actual um, websites and, and programs that kids can register on and they get um, access. It's almost like an audible for textbooks. So those textbooks or the chapters or things that they need to read for class can actually be read out to them. And so that's just helping out with another barrier that they have. When kids are young, continuing to read aloud to them is important. We we want them to gain that love of learning. We want them to have access to the content, um, to that information. If reading is too much of a barrier to them, being involved in reading to them, because again, remember, a lot of these kids have better understanding of what they hear as compared to what they read. So um, reading aloud to them, letting them listen to audiobooks. These are just ways that can keep them engaged in learning and in the world of books. So again, the book for this episode was Fish in a Tree 
by Linda Mullally Hunt. This was an excellent book. I thought I really learned a lot from it. And my major takeaways are, one, dyslexia does not mean a lack of intelligence. Dyslexia has nothing to do with how intelligent a person is. Um, for the vast majority of these children, intelligence will be completely normal. And in fact, most of these people are very good at visual, spatial thinking, creative thinking. So it is important to dispel that myth. Um, thinking back to the book, this was a significant issue for Ali. So it's, it's very important to, um, continue to emphasize to children that this does not mean that they're stupid. It does not mean that they are not capable of doing great things. Number two, unidentified learning difficulties can result in serious emotional distress for a child. So it is very helpful to highlight the strengths that the child has in other areas, to be encouraging, to be patient with them, to celebrate the small victories, whatever they are. And the third thing is that early recognition of dyslexia and appropriate accommodations greatly increase a child's chance of uh, catching up and reaching their full academic potential. And so these are things that we should be working towards in our education systems. Okay, so this has been another episode of the Storytime Clinic. Thank you so much for listening in with me today. I'm going to link in my show notes to uh, two very helpful websites that I looked at while I was preparing this episode. So one is the Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity. And they have an excellent amount of resources on this page for educators, for parents, for people who just generally want to know more about dyslexia. And the page is also very well designed for finding information. So that's a good resource. And another one is the International Dyslexia Association, which again, is just a, a wealth of information on dyslexia. So I will link to those two websites in my show notes. For the show notes and links to the books I cover in this episode, please head over to the podcast website at www.storytimeclinic.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share this podcast with other people who may be interested. I'd also love to hear from you if you have book suggestions or health topics you'd like to see me cover. If you want to give me some feedback and help me make this podcast more valuable for you, I would also love to hear from you. You can leave a review on iTunes or send me an email at thestorytimeclinic at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and I will see you in the next episode.